Hello and welcome to the Stage Free Podcast. I'm April Angeletta and I'm here with Bradley Green. Hello. Chris Newman. Hello. Lana Shandlin. Hello. Duncan Boatwright. Hi. Chuck Perryman. Hi, April. Mike Philly. Hi. And Ashy Day. Hello. We're here to talk about our upcoming concert, Concert 2.4, Bites and Brushes, which will be on Friday, February 22nd at 7.30 at Studio Gallery. Studio Gallery is on R Street Northwest near DuPont Circle. So, Mike Philly, would you tell us a little bit about the program that we've put together? Sure. Uh, this is a program of electronic music. It will have fixed media, which means no performers, and also some pieces with a live performer uh, with uh, electronic manipulation. If you remember, on the first concert this season, we had a piece by Armando Biolo, with had, which had violin and electronics. We'll reprise that piece on this program, and that's the kind of thing we're talking about with electronic manipulation. Uh, the other live players that will be there, in addition to Patty Wang, who is at our first concert, uh, is David Lee, who's a flute player, and he'll play a piece by Dai Fujikura called Poison Mushroom. And we'll have Sherry Feldman, the soprano, sing a piece by Chaya Chernowin. Uh, the piece has a Latin title, and it's going to take me a second to remember how to say this, so it is called Ariantum Capillus Ventris, which means uh, it's a maidenhair fern. Um, so it's a, just a Latin name for a, a, a plant. Back to Poison Mushroom. Uh, so this piece, uh, Fujikura in his program notes, talks about his experience learning about the bombing of Hiroshima. Uh, he, was, he grew up in the 70s in Japan. And he tells a story about a field trip that his uh, school went to, to Hiroshima, to learn about the bombing. And he uh, heard a story by a survivor who told uh, the children that after the bomb dropped, uh, m people in the town felt as though they were burning, and so they ran to the river to cool down. They jumped in the river, and they didn't realize the river was boiling. And this image stuck with him. And as he was writing this piece, uh, this sort of image of the bombing of Hiroshima and these poor uh, victims uh, was in his mind. Uh, he concludes his program notes about this piece with, It is our duty to remember. Chernowin's piece uh, is decidedly less uh, concerned with imagery. Um, in her program notes, I'll just read these directly from her website. Uh, she says, In this piece, the voice and breath play an equal role in executing the musical text, as the breath is independent from the voice and equal to it in an almost contrapuntal relationship. She says it's a sketch using the voice and breath like a small brush painting a line. The breath is the water, uh, some color, which is the voice, and the line is actually transmitting a whole landscape. Um, and then we'll also have Patty Wang uh, come and play Touche again, and that'll start off the program. We are very excited to have a lot of local representation on this program, including Armando. Um, but we have in the room several composers who have uh, the majority of them written fixed media pieces. Um, and why don't we start with Chris uh, talking about his piece, Utopia for Anna. What is a fixed media piece, Chris? So a fixed media piece is a piece of music that doesn't have a live element. It's basically the same as if you hit play on a recorder or, well, old term recorder, or on a computer at home and just listen to a piece of music on Spotify or however you do. The difference is that there's a generally uh, attention given to the hall 
And so there's a speaker setup, and they still just hit play. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> Which is why we programmed a lot of it on this concert. Yes, but you know that the less you have to do, the more that button gets very full of anxiety. If you only have to hit a button, suddenly it's a terrifying button. Yeah. What if I miss? So are you going to hit the button for the concert, or do I have to do that? No, it's very wild. Unfortunately, I can't be there to hit the button. So someone also have to have the brunt of the anxiety. I'll hit the button. No worries. Thanks, Brad. Yeah. Have you written a lot of fixed media pieces before? I have. I've, this is actually a very early fixed media piece. Um, I was working with many concepts that I've since stopped working with, including MIDI. I, I normally now just work with audio. It's more, here's a complete sound, and what can we take away from it, instead of what can we add to it. And so there's a tons, t tons of instruments in there that have a quasi-relationship, like some sound like a flute, some sound like a piano. And I was just starting to figure out how to really break the sounds down so that they sounded like something new. It's sort of a transitional piece. You'll be able to hear some that really sound like a flute and some that really have gained originality. So, Great. Yes. Yeah. And what's the name of your piece again? Utopia for Anna. Now, this piece comes about from a funny story when I was dating my now wife, uh, Anna Goodson, now Anna Newman, where uh, we were having a, a debate where I, I generally in philosophy fall more on a uh, laissez-faire side about ethics, and she falls on a very Kantian side of ethics, where everything needs to be this certain way. And so I said that, you know, her world of the, her idea of the world was utopian. And I think she kind of punched me a little because <laughs> she thought it was, what I was saying was that it was unfeasible. But what I was actually saying was that it was nice. So <laughs> it was a nice idea of the world. <laughs> and this piece comes out of that and I was dealing with well what does it mean to build a nice environment so great it's always nice to write a piece for your spouse <laughs> it's terrifying yeah it really, <laughs> is. It really is and she's a musician so it's, it's more terrifying yeah. as I'm sure many of you know and you said this is an early piece that you did uh, earlier in your career was this one of the first pieces for fixed media yeah I was 18, yeah, um, 18. maybe 19 uh, and I had only been writing electronic music for about six months Wow. And actually, your piece also comes toward the beginning of your experience with fixed media pieces. That is correct. Um, I am usually a composer of vocal music, so I do a lot of choral music. I do a lot of art song. Um, I live in a world where we don't even use microphones. We sometimes brag about not needing microphones, but that's a, that's a terrible thing. So, you know, to, to go into this world of electronic music was a new thing, but I was interested in figuring out what could I create completely on my own, um, but still use choral techniques of layering and chords and things like that. Um, so this was before I invested in any equipment, so I used a Zoom recorder and GarageBand right. and oh, yeah. <laughs> recorded it in my bedroom. So <laughs> That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about the piece? I know it's a, it's a topical piece about your experience living near the sea, is that right? Yeah, so it's a setting of an Edna St. Vincent Millay poem called Eelgrass. Uh, it's a very short poem, and she basically says, no matter what I say, all I really love, and then she lists all these beautiful things about the sea, and she ends it with saying, nothing in this place. So to me, it's got this very nostalgic sort of element of being somewhere that you love. And I had 
you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania, but I always dreamed about living by the sea. And I was randomly assigned to go move to Miami when I joined Teach for America in 2006. (laughs) And I ended up in an apartment a block away from the beach, and it was amazing. (laughs) And um, for some reason, I moved away from there and (laughs) 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 randomly get mad at myself for, I have no idea why I did that. Um, But yeah, so this piece was kind of taking those emotions. And it's not meant to be, it's meant to kind of mix uh, that peaceful feeling of being by the sea and has a lot of wave um, wave ideas built into the structure um, with a little bit of playfulness and a little bit of longing. So your piece, Ashy, and Chris, your piece, they take sounds that exist, like real sounds that are acoustic sounds, are recorded and then manipulated in some way? Well, mine uses MIDI. MIDI, okay. So fake instruments that are meant to sound like real instruments-ish. I don't remember. <laughs> and I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> and actually, yours is a primarily a recording of yourself? It's just my voice. There's no okay. other sounds Nothing else my at voice. all. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And then, Bradley, your piece mm. is the opposite. Yeah, so mine basically is called Pell Blair. Uh, it's a series of pieces that I've been writing where basically all of the sounds are generated from white noise. And if you're an old fogey like me, you remember white noise being that sound that the TV makes when it turns on uh, <clears throat> with a static back when tubes were involved. Uh, but I've always liked that sound. So basically I just took that sound and put it through a bunch of different filters and processes. And this is not something that's new. People have been using white noise for the things like this for a long time. I just wanted to do it, make it that be the only sound I use. And so basically I start off with white noise and then I keep filtering it and filtering it and filtering it until I get to a point where it basically doesn't sound like white noise in even the slightest. And that becomes the basis of every sound in the piece. So I plan on doing a lot of these. Like I said, I really like white noise. So this is going to be the first movement. And then the second movement, this will be a premiere of that. Um, and somewhere down the line, I'll probably write a third and a fourth and a fifth. I want it to be kind of modular where, you know, play whichever ones you would like. Um, so, yeah, everything comes from white noise. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The, one of the striking things about your piece mm. is the panning. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, so... Um, First of all, what is panning? And- so, uh, let me back up a little bit and tell you why it's only a stereo piece. Mm-hmm. Um, stereo meaning only two channels. So, I... Generally, mostly only composed acoustic works. Um, I had composed some stuff before this point uh, that were used MIDI, or I scored some videos and things like that with um, uh, Logic and whatnot. But uh, I think everyone here can probably relate to this. Once you graduate school and you lose your set of performers, you're like, well, I still want to get things performed, so I'll move to electronic music, see what I can do with that. Um, so this was essentially my learning piece, at least for like synthesis and things like that. Uh, and I used uh, Maxim SP and Pro Tools to compose it. Um, and back to your question on panning, I was pretty novice at using this program, uh, but I also really like um, stereophonic effects, like all around sound. Um, and panning basically is just sounds coming on this side, sounds coming on that side, left to right. So if you use earphones, you've probably heard panning in some way, shape, or form. Some instruments come out more on your left side of your ear. Some instruments come out more on the right. So I basically used that to create an idea of it's the sounds coming from all around, like kind of faking it a little bit, because I didn't think I was good enough at the technology at the time to do a real, like, five-speaker piece. I wanted to start a little smaller than that. So I use a lot of panning, basically, to go left and right, but also 
uh, a little bit to make it sound like there's depth, like uh, farther uh, or back in the hall. So uh, basically, every single sound in the piece, I made it a point to never try to keep it static, never try to keep it in one place. So if it's if there's gonna if there's a sound happening, it's moving to one side or the other, or it's very quick staying in one side and then going to the next side and then half and half on both sides, uh, because I wanted it to feel as if it's constantly moving and constantly going around and not staying in one place. Uh, because it's trans the sounds are transforming, but also where it's at in the space of the hall is also transforming. Mm -hmm. So the second piece mm -hmm. of your set will be a premiere, yes. which is really exciting. When did you finish it? I finished that, oh, you had to ask me that. Um, <laughs> so I finished that one probably at the end of the last academic year, so I'd say probably May or June-ish of 2018, something around there. Um, the first movement I finished in the end of 2017, so they kind of came one after the other. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so it's uh, uh, it's been a while since I've composed it, but this will be the first time it's heard, in a, at least in a live hall setting. You can always go to my website to listen to it, but it's not <laughs> how it was intended. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And we have, so that's one premiere. We have mm -hmm. two other premieres on the concert, one by Duncan Boatwright and the other by our very own Chuck Perryman. Duncan, let's start with you. Your piece is called um, Stories Heard But Not Recalled, and it's still being composed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, in, in the process. Yeah, but it'll, it'll be done. Can you tell us about it a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like it's a little bit in line with uh, with Ashi and Chris's works, um, and then it's it's entirely uh, it's entirely found sound. Um, there are no there's no uh, you know there's no base level synthesis in the work. Um, it's uh, it's a few selections from a novel, and I hired two voice actors, um, a male and a female, to perform lines from that novel, um, and all the sound is comprised from that material. Um, and I was uh, fortunate to have the voice actors that I did. Uh, you know, I gave them both really specific instructions as to how these lines should be performed, and um, they both sort of uh, did something, you know, that I wasn't really, you know, that I, that I didn't expect to receive. Um, and so, but I sat on it for a while, and, you know, like the, the voice actress that I hired, for example, um, she, really, uh, she really put a lot, of, a lot of emotional strength into the performance, um, where I had instructed it to be sort of a monotone performance. And so I sat on that for a while, wondering if that would work, wondering if I'd have to hire someone else. Um, but, you know, I actually ended up, after sitting on it for a few weeks, I thought that it would, would actually work really well. Um, and, you know, to see how I, could, how I could get around my original intentions and see what I could do with what I had received. Um, so, but, but yeah, it's, it's, I enjoy working with sound like this. Um, I, I feel like I've established a good, a good sort of workflow and a good feel for how I like to manipulate um, audio in this way, and it's um, it, it's a good work. Um, I, I might call it programmatic. It, again, it draws really heavily from um, from the material in the in the text, um, but uh, also in its own way, um, just uh, constructs a, a very new narrative as well. So, yeah. Uh, do you also use Pro Tools and Logic and all that to do your? No, I actually, I'm, I, I guess I'm the black sheep. Um, mm -hmm. I mostly these days work in Super Collider, um, hmm. which just for me has grown to be a really, really important part of my workflow. Um, it, just as an example, um, you know, at the beginning of the piece, uh, the texture of the beginning of the piece is um, hundreds and hundreds of uh, one to three word fragments from the performances 
layered over one another in a very, very dense texture, and then filtered down to extract tones from that really heavy, almost almost granulation um, of the sample. But but not, you know, of course, the, the grains are much longer than grains would usually be. What is a grain? Um, a gra- so in granular synthesis, that would involve taking a sample and slicing it up into, like, 1 to 50 millisecond chunks, um, and I'm talking about a texture comprised of, like, 1 to 4 second chunks. Um, but, but, you know, a process like that, layering, you know, hundreds of samples over one another would, I'm sure there's a better way to do it, but if I were to try and do that in a conventional DAW, it would take me probably 12 hours of work to mm-hmm. do. Um, whereas, you know, in Super Collider, that's, um, that's about nine lines of code to do. Um, so it lets me work very quickly um, to create very complicated textures. Um, and uh, yeah, it can be a, it can be more trouble than it's worth sometimes, but but for me has just grown to be a, a very important part of my process. <laughs> so so if you're working in a typical DAW, you're sort of drag and dropping sounds and that sort of mm-hmm. thing and manipulating uh, in, it's sort of like using Squarespace or something to build a website, mm-hmm. but you're actually writing code for your piece? Yeah, correct. So, so the first step was after I got the performances was to uh, chunk them up into one to five word fragments, and so I have just a giant library of audio files. Um, and the way that works in Super Collider is those are all loaded into sound buffers, um, and then you know the same way that in any programming language you could uh, say, for example, you know variable is equal to variable plus two, and you've then added two to the variable in Super Collider. It's a similar process, but it's you know audio signal equals audio signal with a bandpass filter. Um, and so it's code, but I don't think it's too intimidating for, for anyone who, who has a background in, in sort of engineering a little bit. So, And you'll be at the concert, right? I will, yeah, So absolutely. you'll be able to explain that to anyone who's interested. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm always like people, the, the number of times people have told me to shut up about Super Collider. Um, if, you know, if I had a nickel, I just re- oh, it's such a good piece of software. I'm sorry, I really, I really, really like it. Uh, and it's open source and free. So, yeah, so anyone who wants to get into that kind of scene, uh, you know, and I'm happy to talk your face off about it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then the other premiere on this concert is from our very own stage free-er, Chuck Perryman, Charles Perryman. Whatever my name is. (laughs) Um, His piece is also in the process of being composed and doesn't have a title yet, so I'm calling it Mystery Sounds for Banjo. I like it. I feel like as we've gone clockwise around the room, it's like... The preparedness has degraded. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, my piece is for uh, for banjo and electronics, uh, which has been an interesting combination. I actually did a web search for uh, examples and inspiration, and as far as I can tell, there's only one other person in the universe who does banjo with electronic live processing. <laughs> so, in good company. Uh, but my piece is is being written. I don't have a title yet. I'm primarily using uh, Max MSP. And my piece is is almost exclusively interactive with uh, my performance. I have a little bit of, of synthesis, like you guys were talking about, like I'm kind of putting in little things, you know, like some additive synthesis to kind of mm-hmm. round out the sound. And but my idea is to primarily work with the sound from the instrument in a live way to create uh, the piece in real time. So. so like a lot of the other composers in the room who wrote these pieces as new pieces to help develop their skill in a particular software, it's the same for you with Max MSP. Right. Right? What's that whole experience been like? Because that's a pretty daunting software if you don't know what you're doing. Huh? Yeah, it's no super collider, but uh, <laughs> it's, for me, I mean, I did a little bit of it in school. I don't think I really learned it the right way. You know, I kind of like stumbled my way through it, but 
for in writing this piece, I think I really learned how to how to use the program. YouTube is a is a great thing. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, and it's been really interesting to to learn to have that kind of control over over the sound. And what will people see when you're performing that piece? What will they be looking at? Uh, me playing, I guess. Is that, <laughs> yeah. is that what I mean is like, is somebody does someone have to work a laptop to? No, I've the plan right now is to have the computer kind of respond to what I'm playing. So like you play an A on your banjo and then something happens? Kind of, yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. A lot of things are triggered by like um, really loud attacks. Mm. So there's like a, I guess it's like an amplitude trigger or something mm. that I wrote and it's like hit a loud, a loud note and it will trigger something in the, in the patch. I'm also sort of playing around with the computer selecting things like randomly to kind of give like an, a texture that's different every time. These are all things that I need to figure out. And do. But I got the <laughs> But that's the plan. The plan is to kind of have the have it kind of develop from what I'm playing, as opposed to like controlling it with a pedal or something like mm -hmm. that. So that's neat. I'm sure it'll I'm sure it'll work out fine. You know? <laughs> no one will know anyway. It'll be. Yeah. <laughs> so we're very excited to be for this concert at Studio Gallery in Dupont Circle, mm -hmm. and that's right at the corner of R Street and Florida Avenue. Mm -hmm. And we're very happy to have Lana Shandlin here with us. She's the director at Studio Gallery. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about the space? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Studio Gallery is one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest artist cooperatives and oldest female-founded art galleries. Um, so we're a nonprofit organization with a mission to foster an appreciation for and provide a space for the arts, uh, whether they be visual or musical. Um, it's really about community and um, ways to engage. Uh, so we were actually found Founded in the 1950s uh, by this woman, Jenny Lee Knight, who was an artist and um, tired of trying to find a place to exhibit as a woman in the 1950s, because it turns out that was not particularly easy. Um, so she ended up founding Studio Gallery, um, and she ran it herself for 10 years. Um, and during that time, the gallery exhibited Picasso, Goya, uh, Lautrec, a lot of big names. Um, and then eventually she handed the gallery off to turn into the artist cooperative that it's become today. Um, so today we represent about uh, 46 of the DMV area's uh, most talented contemporary artists, if I do say so myself. We're all very <laughs> proud of them. Um, it's a great space. It's housed in a townhouse that was constructed in 1900. Um, so there's a lot of history there. And of course, the gallery's long history means that there's the building's history and then there's ours. I mean, we've had people come in with their grown children and tell us that they got engaged at Studio Gallery because we've just been in that wow. location for a long time. So it's a, a great community to be a part of. Um, yeah, so we're really excited to have you guys there, too. Great. One, th one thing that really strikes me or that I'm really excited about for this concert is that opportunity to come to see local art at Studio Gallery and to hear a lot of local art for the concert. Yeah. Do you do a lot of pairing at the at the gallery, a lot of music and local Yeah, that's pairing? a great question. Um, so the gallery rotates out our art exhibitions every three weeks, so we always have something new. Um, so it's a great venue to host events in because even if you use the same venue, it looks totally different. I mean, we've had artists transform the entire gallery into one giant garden. Um, we have artists who installed medicine cabinets like all over the gallery and you had to open them to find the art 
artwork, and it was like this invasion of privacy that was also really like tempting and interesting. Yeah, and we've had artists who have dragged in broken down pieces of cars and built up on top of that, which, funnily enough, will be the artist on display during this concert. So I highly <laughs> awesome. recommend everyone come check it out. Um, yeah, so we do a lot of community partnerships because the space is so activated already that it creates this really good symbiosis between other arts organizations yeah. that we bring in. Um, so we're going to have you guys, which is great. Um, we've also hosted um, the William Meredith Foundation, and they did a poetry reading. Um, we did a slam poetry event, um, which turned out to be way more crazy, fun, exciting. Mm -hmm. The roof almost popped off the building kind of thing. <laughs> um, and we also do private events as well, but we really are trying to more engage with the community and provide a space um, because I'm sure, as all of you know, finding a venue in D.C. to do almost anything is kind of a nightmare. Uh, no offense to DC, we love it, but the prices for this kind of thing. So we do a lot of partnerships like that to sort of give back to the community and then also, you know, get our name in, uh, in the minds of new people. Yeah. Well, thank you for partnering with us. It's really an exciting yeah. thing. Yeah, we are really excited. Uh, so you mentioned one of the artists. Is that Jean? Yes. Um, so upstairs, we're going to have Jean Jinho Kim. Um, she's a Korean artist who works in large-scale mixed media, um, PVC piping, car parts, nets. She plugs in lights. It's it's really interesting. Um, downstairs, we're going to have Pam Frederick, um, who is a actually jazz-inspired artist um, who does these really colorful abstractions based on what she hears when she listens to jazz music. So it's very appropriate. Very cool. <laughs> Though it doesn't sound like we'll be having anything jazzy based on what I've heard so far. I, I guess we haven't heard the final yeah. edition of Mystery <laughs> Sounds for Banjo yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we'll also, right. <laughs> we'll also have um, our fellowship show. So the fellowship program um, was specifically designed to encourage emerging artists to get involved in showing in galleries. Um, it can be really challenging just coming out with your Master's of Fine Arts and you're like, where do I go? What do I do? Who do I talk to? Um, so since we are a cooperative, we have this great community. It's a great support system and a great way to plug into the larger DC art scene. Um, so we have the fellowship program, which is a reduced membership level um, expense-wise, but you still get the whole experience. Um, so our two fellows right now are two emerging artists. We have Nicole Idafossi, who does these portraits that make us all want to cry, basically. <laughs> and then um, J.S. Herbert, who does these gorgeous ceramic pieces. So those will be paired together. Um, and we're really excited to see how people respond to those. Um, I can tell you that we we took some of Nicole's work off-site to an event at an elementary school once. And this little kid came up to us and was like, are you telling me someone drew that? And it was so <laughs> cute and such an authentic um, response to the work. So great. we're really excited to get people in to check it out. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Great. The concert, the plan right now for the concert is to start upstairs mm -hmm. uh, so we can see Jean's work, and that'll be yes. the first half of the program. And then the second half of the program, if we can work out all the technical stuff, we'll get downstairs so everyone will have a chance to look at the art that's downstairs yes. uh, while they're finishing up the second half of the program. Absolutely. I'm sure it's all going to be worth seeing. It's being installed <laughs> this weekend, so I've got my fingers crossed, <laughs> but everything should look great by the time we have you guys in. Well, thank you all for coming in today and talking with us about the upcoming concert. So for those of you listening, it's Concert 2.4, Bites and Brushes. It's Friday, February 22nd at 7.30 at Studio Gallery. And again, that's on our street, near our, at the intersection of our street and Florida Avenue. And that's very close to DuPont Circle. Mm -hmm. You can get more information about the concert and reserve tickets in advance at stagefree.org. And we hope to see you all there.